dive in. We're talking about freedom. And we are reminding one another that we're free. So turn to somebody and say, you're free. Say, I am free. We are standing on the declaration that we are free. The Bible says in John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. So we're holding God at his word. That God has said that you are free if you are in Jesus, and if you've aligned your life with Christ, you've invited him into your uh, life, then you are free. And we have to keep reminding one another, and several weeks ago we started this conversation about what it looks like for us to walk in that freedom in Christ. It's one thing to be reminded that we're free, it's another thing to actually flesh that out. What does that look like in, in, in real terms? Because what I know about God is that everything God has ever done was done for our freedom. And everything that Jesus has ever done on this planet was done to ensure that you and I remain free, that you are free. And part of that freedom is that we have the freedom to love and to be loved. We have the freedom to love and to be loved by others. See, what I feel like happens so often is that we understand the the capacity that we have to show love to others, but we're gatekeepers. We're gatekeepers of that love. We're, we're hoarding it up. We're damming it up in our lives, and we're very careful who we love because we're not going to get hurt. I'm not going to show you love because I'm not going to have you take advantage of me. And so what we do is we hoard that, and we hold that, and you're free to do so. You're free to pick and choose who you want to love and when you want to show love. You're free to receive love from others or, or to not. You are gatekeepers of that, and the power of love is so great and compelling that Jesus actually goes to the cross to ensure that you and I are free. So we get to choose, but love is an expression of our freedom. Love is a reminder uh, that we are able to uh, be free and to show that. It's, It's not only what connects us together, but it's actually the map. It's the pathway to freedom. And it's a tool that leads us to those around us, and it leads us to Christ if we'll allow it to. But because so many of us have been hurt over time and because so many of us have experienced wounds and pains, we're guarded, we're careful. And if we're honest, uh, love is an illusion. It just is. Uh, We use the term so frequently that it becomes kind of monotone. It becomes kind of white noise. Like, uh, I I love uh, coffee. I mean, I've got like a love-hate. I'm I'm in love with coffee right now at the moment. It's complicated. Uh, I, I love tacos. That's not complicated. It's really easy. Uh, I love having a house to go home to. Uh, but I love my family. And we use the word love so, uh, so frequently and so uh, it's just a blanket term that it doesn't really have its impact. There are things that we like. I like coffee. I like my family. No, I love my family. There are things that we like and then there are things that we would die for. And a lot of times, because we've confused the terms so often, um, it all just sort of feels like it's meaningless and empty, and yet what uh, we realize is that love is so often misunderstood. Love is so often misused. Honestly, love is often misrepresented. There are people in our lives who have used love to, to hurt us and to uh, control us, and, and it's, it's honest because it, it is confusing. In fact, it's confusing because of the narratives in our lives around love, that, that we have movies and television programs that represent love in such a, uh, a terrible or uh, unrealistic way. Uh, what are some films about love that have formed your life? Anybody want to shout one out? Cinderella. Cinderella? All right. Somebody else? What is it? Uh, I don't know what that is. I'll have to check it out. Somebody else? I'll Netflix it later. Forrest Gump? All right. Somebody else? A film about love? The notebook, I was waiting for it. I knew it was going to come out. 
Saving Private Ryan, man, if you, the notebook and Saving Private, who thought we were going to put those two in the same category today? It's true, though. It's love in a different form. Anybody else want to shout one out before we move on? Sleepless in Seattle. See, the, the films of our day and our decade, uh, were, they, they've, they've shaped us. I look back at 90s sitcoms because I'm a 90s kid, and uh, I think, wow, love told me through 90s sitcoms that it's going to be complicated and it's going to be solved in 30 minutes or less with commercials. And I'm going to have a problem and it's going to be solved before I go to bed at night. And that's not how love works because culture has shaped and shifted and formed our view of love. We have this warped view uh, of, of love and, and, and it's not fair because there's billions of dollars being made on this genre because it's so personal. Anybody ever been in love? Put your hand up. Keep your hand up if you've been hurt by love or hurt by someone while in love. Yeah, if you put your hand down, then uh, there's no place for you here. We've all fallen in love, and we've all been hurt by love. We've all been hurt by someone who said they loved you. We've all been manipulated and controlled by someone who said they were doing it because it was your best interest or because they loved you. We've been hurt in community, a community that was supposed to be safe. Maybe it was a community called church. We've all been hurt by love, and what happens for a lot of us is that when we've been hurt by love, we start to think that love hurt us. We don't blame the person, we blame love. And we say, I'm not going to fall in love again. I'm not going to love again, I'm not going to trust again, I'm not going to be vulnerable again. And so what happens is we start to guard our hearts, we start to uh, build walls. Some of us become calloused, and, and depending on how hurt you were, uh, you build a, a bigger wall and you say, I'm never going to love again. And we're gatekeepers, we're guarding, we're saying, uh, I might let you in a little bit, but just a little. Because we don't think love is safe anymore. And, and people who don't understand or know how to love use it as a weapon. And as much as we've been hurt by love and people have used love as a weapon against us, we've used it as a weapon against others, I'm sure. Uh, but like a kid running through the house with like a Bushido blade, leaving a trail of uh, just disaster, you and I try to walk through love, showing love and giving love and receiving love and just hurting people in the process. And we have a culture that is confusing us and giving conflicting messages about unrealistic love. And then we have hurt people who are using love to hurt other people. And so it's uh, no wonder that so many of us are the byproduct of, of just wound and pain and, and, and just love being used in so many different ways. And often we're wounded in community. But we're also healed in community. And healing might not come from the same community, but healing is necessary for, uh, community is necessary for healing. And so what happens in the context of the church is that you get hurt in church and you go, no more. And there are so many people in our community that have been hurt by church that say, I'm never going to go to church again because I'm never going to let people hurt me like that again. And I understand. It's never the people that change our oil or give us coffee that hurt us like it is the people that we allow into our lives. We go to small group with and we go to women's Bible study with and we sit in the room and sing praises with. They hurt us the most because they're the closest to us. Just like your spouse has the capacity to hurt you more than a stranger on the street, we are close to people and that's vulnerable. And some of us, we can't take the vulnerability and so we build walls. Some of us, even in our own lives and relationships and even marriages, we, we build up walls where we go, I'm just going to let you this close and that's as far as you get. The problem is when we build up walls and we hold people away, we don't actually get to experience genuine love. Because if we keep people at an arm's distance and we never get close to people, yeah, we're never hurt, but we're also never truly feeling a genuine sense of love. And so as a community of faith, we can actually be that place of hurt. 
So right now, collectively, we could get together and go, let's just hurt this town. Let's burn it to the ground. Let's hurt one another. Let's, uh, let's just be terrible, awful people. Or we can choose in this moment, and I think this is where we'll lean, that we're going to be a place of healing. We'll be a beacon of light and hope into a community. Because what I know about the world outside these walls is that everybody needs love. We were designed from inception to need love. And as much as we deny it and we pretend that we don't need love, we do. We thrive on it. We don't just need acceptance and we don't just need to be liked. We need love. And if we know that we need love, then the people out there need love. And we can find love here in community. But the people out there, they don't have that. And so we, here and now, as Embrace Church, choose to be people who exemplify love at every front. Where whether it's propensity to cause hurt and pain and, and disconnect, we want to guard those spaces. We want to be quick to forgive and we want to uh, make sure that we're moving forward together, bringing help and healing. And one of the things that uh, has tended over the last several years to uh, be a byproduct of the ministry that Margie and I have been a part of is that we've seen people who have been de-churched or left church come back. Because one of the things that we pride ourselves, pride, that sounds bad, but one of the things that we strive for, that's better, uh, is we strive to make sure that we're a place where people who've been hurt by church can come and go, let's try again. Because there's so much toxicity. We want to be a healthy space. There's no need for power or uh, anything here. We want to be a place where we journey together on what it means to, to give and to receive love, knowing that we're going to be vulnerable. In order to love again and be loved, you're going to have to be vulnerable. And some of us, we don't want that, and we've got to cross that bridge. We've got to put ourselves back in a place where we're willing to be hurt, knowing that that's the place where we're going to be loved the most. And God comes through Jesus, and he gives us a model for what that looks like for us. That in culture and society and even in, in humanity, we can't find love. We only find hurt and, and, and pain and, and, and misuse of love. And yet what God does through, uh, through the scriptures is he comes and he says, this is what love looks like. This is what it means for us to work together as followers of Christ to exemplify love. But in order for us to be that place of health and, 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 and joy and love, we have to be honest about love. We have to come to a place where we're honest about it. Where we're saying, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to show love and it's tough to receive love sometimes. And I don't always feel worthy of love. And I certainly find people in my life that aren't worthy of love. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm a gatekeeper of love. So let's just be honest about it. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, it says, from now on then. We do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way. Yet now we no longer know him in that way. This is an interesting passage challenging us to stop viewing people according to worldly standards and values. It is so easy to gauge and to judge based on what we see. So right now, you're looking at me. You cannot see my thoughts. I am filtering through words and trying to articulate things that, you know, uh, make most of the gospel and make the least of me and don't make me look like an idiot and you can't see my heart you can't tell if my heart's in good shape or in bad shape uh, you can't see my soul you can't see what's going on behind the facade and I could be a really horrible human being and you would never know because I could really be good at acting I'm not I don't think but I could be I don't know you I can't see your thoughts I can't see your heart I can't see the condition I'm not seeing what behaviors and, and words that you use outside of the context of this room 
And so what happens is a lot of us, we judge people based on how we see them because that's the easy thing to do. And we often live as if this life and, and everything that we see is all that matters and all that's going on. And we make judgments about people based on how they see. And, and even worse, we lump large groups of people in with one person. So someone of a, a certain race or socioeconomic status may hurt you. And we say, well, all those people are bad. Or all those people in church are bad because I got hurt in church. Or all those people who are married are bad because I got hurt in a marriage. And we lump groups of people together and we judge and we pick and we choose. And it's exhausting. To the point where we go to the grocery and we see someone and we're like, do I like them or not? I can't remember if they hurt me, if they didn't hurt me. Do I love them? How am I supposed to behave and act? And it's just, it's exhausting. And what God wants to do is he wants to clear the slate. He wants to repair and, and, and rebuild. And he wants us to be reminded that we're not as good at acting as we think we are. That even if you put up a front, most people can still see through and see the hurt and the pain. And across the board, we've become really great. We've become uh, savants at, at hiding and masking and pretending and, and, and smiling. And, and every now and then, you know, we'll find someone who doesn't do that great of a job or you get to a breaking point where you fall apart and you're like, oh man, I can't believe that person did that. And then we put it back together and we're going, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And yet, when we come across someone who infuriates us or we come across someone who's rude or mean, we just chalk them up as a bad person. And what God is doing is he's going, there's something more that's transpiring There's something beyond the surface. 2 Corinthians says, what you see on the surface is not always what's happening. We should no longer view people on a surface level. It says from now on, then we do not know anyone in a purely human way. That if someone is rude or or mean, it's likely that something has transpired in their life that have caused them to treat others that way. Hurt people, hurt people, or whatever. If someone is willing to, you know, fly off the handle and, you know, in traffic, it's, something's going on. And it's easy to get caught up in the moment and in the act and then the gesture. And it's harder to go, well, what's really happening in their life? What has led them to this place where they're so angry that God is imploring us to engage in the hurt, to recognize that everything that's happening on the surface is not always what's happening. There's more to the story to recognize uh, humanity's desperate need for love, to stop looking from a human perspective, and to go, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? Because we know everyone's desperate for love and acceptance. We know encoded in the DNA of all humanity is this need for love, and we know that if you can't find that, there's something transpiring in your life that you're reaching for, and you're coming up empty, and you're frustrated, and people are angry. And, and the crazy thing is showing love to others and being kind and giving space and, and g- being generous costs us nothing. To be gracious, to... Uh, To not just automatically assume that everyone's bad, but actually to understand that there's something deeper going on beneath the surface. Costs you and I nothing, regardless of the money that you have in your bank, your 401k, your status in life. You do not have to reach a certain place where you can actually give love. It's free for us. It's free for us to allow love to be our default. To give people the benefit of the doubt. And the crazy thing is, because it's free, we want to hold it. As if it's an endless supply. I mean, I'll be honest. I've got, uh, I've got a, a, a very uh, limited supply of money, right? Very limited supply of money. I've got to go fund me if you want to meet up later. Very limited supply of money. And we look at our lives and love like that. Where we go, okay, I've received my check. How am I going to stretch that out? 
All right, I'm coming to the end of the month, you know what I mean? I need to, need to wait for a new paycheck. I better start saving that up. And we bank love, and we think that we have to hold and hoard and, and save. And what God is reminding us of is he's given us endless amounts of love. So why are we the gatekeepers? Why are we the ones going, well, you don't deserve my love, or uh, I'll give you just a little bit, but I'm about to run out. We have an entire generation of insecure people looking for love everywhere. And the place that they should find it the most is in spaces like this. And yet the church, the big C church, is notorious for not being a space of love. It's not being a space of acceptance. It's being a space of you conform and then you receive. And yet the entire gospel message is all about how God loves us unconditionally. It doesn't mean we don't change. It doesn't mean that things don't transpire later. It doesn't mean that we can just be horrible human beings all the time. But I want to make very clear, everyone is welcome in this space. Everyone's also welcome to hear the gospel and be equally offended by it because sin is sin. But everyone is welcome here in community to receive the love that comes from Christ. The Bible says God loved us while we were yet sinners. That we is not the collective we in this room. That we is people who sin wildly different than we do. And there are people who are looking in all the wrong places and they're coming up empty and they're frustrated and they're mad and they're angry and they're depleted and they're broken. And we, the people in this room, we can be the change that our society needs, our community needs. But we have to choose it. We have to choose to be a safe space to show love and compassion, that we are free to give the love that we know others need. And, and whether we want to or not, that's the choice we make, but you're free. You're free to hoard and hold on to. But what I know about the economy of God, and this goes from the principle of the tithe all the way down to uh, what we're talking about now and further. What I know about the economy of God is that if you give it away, more comes back. Isn't it interesting how we don't believe that? We think, well, i got to hold it because I don't know if there's more coming. And God's going, I can't give you more because you have so much. Give it away. And more will come into your life. We have to be honest about love and our struggles with love because the power of love is that it's transformative. That love has the ability, the capacity to transform. That love has an opportunity and a way of transforming people's lives. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, the new things have come, and everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This means restored and, and that God has given us the ability to restore and rebuild and repair relationships. Verse 19, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he committed the message of reconciliation to us. There's a lot happening in this passage, and it's kind of a popular passage, so you may have heard it before and not really thought through it, but there's a, a lot that's transpiring in, in, in this short passage that love uh, brings about a transformation. And, and Jesus, through uh, his work of the cross, has, has reconciled us to God. He's repaired that relationship, broken by sin, and now we have direct access to God uh, through the person of Jesus. But then he's turned things around and given you and I the ability to reconcile with others. We now have the mission or the ministry of reconciliation, not certain people, but all who are in Christ are now being given the opportunity. It says he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Now we have to tell others. We've been given the opportunity. When we step into a relationship with God, this transformation happens. The old passes away if you'll allow it. And, and new comes if you'll receive it. 
Our thoughts and our talk and our actions, they're all filtered then through this new life in Christ, through this lens of love, that love transforms lives. And, and we've been trusted with the mission to now go out and tell people about how God's love can transform their lives. The problem is, though, we try to transform people's lives. I like that this is more fun. So instead of going out and connecting people to the transformative power of God's love, we say, I'm going to connect you to the transformative power of my love. So now I'm going to enter into your life, and I'm going to tell you how you should live. And this is easier for us because uh, we're in on the groundwork of something we have no business doing. You ever taken on a task you had no business doing? Every home project, I'm like, not qualified, but YouTube. So I jump in, and, and uh, I feel like you and I do this at, at, at every level. Our job as the ministers of reconciliation is to go, I'm going to connect you to the one who can change your life. But instead we go, I'm going to connect you to me and I'll help you change your life. And churches get it wrong. We want to connect people to a church. We don't want to connect you to a church. We want to connect you to a community. We want to make sure that's a connection that's going to Jesus. And the end result is not connecting you to a church. It's connecting you to Jesus. Only Christ has the capacity to change our life. The problem is when we try to change other people's lives, we make things worse. Much, much, much worse. We hurt people because we try to use the scriptures as a weapon to get people to conform to how we believe they should be living. You know what's beautiful about our freedom in Christ? Is that we're free from the burden of changing others' conduct. We're freed from the burden of trying to manipulate and change the way other people live. Churches get this wrong so many times. you got to act like this and smell like this and believe like this, and then you come in. But that's not what God has called us to do. We're free from that burden. This is tough because we want to see others' lives changed. And, and it might be for all the best interests that we get involved and try to change people, but that's not what we've been called to do. That God doesn't trade love for good conduct. And I think that's the message that we miss so often in the context of the church and the scriptures is he isn't counting our mistakes against us. There's no three-strike rule with God. He's saying, just keep coming back to me. The power of love is that it transforms our lives first, though. See, I think this is the complicated part where we go, yeah, let's go transform people's lives for love. No, no, no. It starts with you. And it starts with me. See, our problem is we want God to fix the world. I want God to fix all the people around me. And most of my prayer life is like, God fix this, and God fix that, and God fix my kids, and God fix my this, and God fix my marriage, and God fix my finances, and God fix my church, and God fix this and that. And God's going, I could fix all of that for you, and you would still mess it up, because the fix starts with me. The fix starts with you. And we're so consumed with all the things around us where God's saying, I'm just consumed with your heart. The power of love is that it transforms us first. And out of our own transformation, we're then able to love unconditionally and point people to a God who loves them unconditionally and can help change them. Therefore, it's our responsibility to love others in the same manner that God has loved us. He loves us unconditionally while we're still sinners. And we take that message and we go, thanks, God. We walk out and go, well, you're a sinner. I can't love you. And you look different than I do, and I can't love you. And we all of a sudden change the rules. And so many times we put limitations on God's love, and it hinders other people from connecting to God. There's so many people that don't go to church because of people in church. So if the power of love transforms, let's allow it to transform us first. God's love transforms lives. So here's what I want you to do. When you experience or encounter someone that's difficult to love, I want you to choose love. I want it to be a default for us. 
I don't want it to be a, 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 a thought that we even have to have. I, I think that's the problem is that this is not, love is not an action as much as it is a posture. It's a way of life. It just becomes how we live. It's not something we have to do. If I have to love you, do you really feel loved? If I got to get up in the morning and be like, here we go. I'm going to love somebody today, you know. Do you really feel loved? When it becomes a posture, a way of life, who we are because we've received unconditional love, we then can return that love. Then it becomes so much more pure that the way we allow love to transform others is by being transformed by it ourselves. The third thing is we have to be used by love. We have to be used by love. Love will drive and determine and dictate the course of our life, that love will lead us and move us to go beyond. It will go uh, give bit more and do more and serve more and love more. Love will always compel us and push us beyond what's comfortable and what feels safe and what feels like we should be doing. And, and, and through vulnerability and through uh, empathy, we have to kind of cross over into this. I'm going to give you the very love that I need myself. And in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul is saying to you and he's saying to me, we are love ambassadors. We are love Ambassadors, it's a good band name, you can have it. We are love ambassadors, it exists somewhere. We are love ambassadors. We are the ones who've been given the mission of love, to be reconciled to God, to receive love from God that we don't deserve. We then have been the hands and the feet to take that love out to give others who don't deserve it either. And the way I give myself to God is by giving myself to others. The way I show love to God is by showing love to others. We come to a place where we begin to give others the very love that we so desperately need ourselves. We must give love to everyone all the time. When people hurt us, we love. When people do us wrong, we love. Now, I realize how this message can go very wrong very quickly. So this is not an invitation to be a doormat. This is not an invitation to just keep taking it. This is not an invitation to let others steamroll over you and keep hurting you. There's boundaries and there's wisdom. And, and God gives us the ability to navigate all of this because there are deep wounds that need time to heal and, and need time before you can show love. And so I'm not asking you to check out and not feel and not believe and not get hurt and just keep putting yourself out there to be wounded again. But here's what I want you to do. The next time somebody hurts you, the next time somebody uses love as a weapon, the next time somebody gets one over on you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to save space for them. I want you to save space. You don't have to return love. You don't have to forgive very quickly because, you know, whatever. But just save space for them. That if someone has deeply wounded you, it hurts you. Hold space. Don't write them off. Don't write love off. Don't close yourself off because what happens is someone hurts you. We close ourselves to love and then we can't open up and receive love anywhere else. So just hold space. Holding space doesn't mean you continue to allow others to hurt you. Holding space means that you're giving an opportunity for the ministry of reconciliation, for God to come in and to rebuild and restore again. That there's that potential. Holding space means you don't allow bitterness to enter into your life, anger and malice to fill that space. That what happens so often is if you hurt me and I don't hold space for you, there's no chance for the ministry of reconciliation to transpire. We're done. And if I do that with enough people, I find that I'm living on an island. 
my island gets smaller and smaller because let's be honest, we're going to hurt one another. You're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. That's just what we do in community. We don't mean to many times, but it has the potential to do that because we open ourselves up to that. And so we don't want to be on an island. God says, I don't want to build islands. I want to build bridges. I want to build ministry reconciliation. And I'll be honest, I've had people hurt me and talk bad about me and say things that, that are damaging to my character. And I don't write anybody off. We hold space. And it's really hard because writing off is way more fun. But we hold space and we say, God, enter in your time and in your place to rebuild and to restore so that you may get the glory see God doesn't get glory when we write people off oh would you say to me again all right we're done and when you move on right God doesn't get glory in that but he gets the glory and honor when we leave space and then uh, God works on the human hearts and and there's repentance and and amends are made and then God's name is known and then the church just grows and the church gets stronger and people in our community go those people they might hurt each other but they save space and there's reconciliation and a lot of us were the byproduct of hurt and wounds to the point where we're getting less and less people. And you've got to keep going to another community of faith to find people who aren't going to hurt you. And this isn't the place because there's possibility for hurt here. But if we'll all take the posture of love as a default and we'll all hold space for one another. Hold space for me. I'm going to say things that may come across wrong and I might actually mean them wrong. Because I can be mean and I might say things that are hurtful. Save space for me. And let's make sure that we're growing stronger so that God may get the glory so can you imagine living with unbridled joy, knowing that you've been loved and cared for unconditionally, and then showing that love and care for everyone, where you see people in the, in the store, and you don't have to dodge them, you don't have to duck your head and go, I don't want to talk to them. We just hold space, and we love, and we smile, and we wave, and we say, in God's time, it's going to be restored. But the lie of love is that it's a feeling, when in reality, it's a way of being. When love is always a feeling, when we don't feel like it, then we don't exemplify it. But if it's a way of being, it becomes who we are. We give and we share and we show love all the time. And we never have to question, does this person deserve my love? No, they do. Because God has given it to you unconditionally. But in false love, your aim is to use other people to fulfill your happiness. And we see this play out all the time. Your love becomes conditional. You give it only when they deserve it. Only when they've jumped certain hoops. But the harsh reality is there's no human being capable of deserving or earning love. And that's why Jesus had to come to show us a better way to say through Christ we are reconciled to God. And now that reconciliation has been placed in our hands. And what we need is love from someone who doesn't need to love us back. We just give and say, I'm going to give you this love. I know you can't return this. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. I know you don't deserve it. I'm going to give it to you anyway. What we need is we need love that comes from God. Wherever you've been looking for love, if it's left you empty, if it's left you as a less of a person, then realign your life with God because when we find love from God, it's, it's overflowing. It's, it's always flowing. And so we find love and validation in Jesus. And in return, we end up giving that love and validation to everyone around us. You and I, were love ambassadors. We're all in the ministry of reconciliation. So what relationships in your life need you to open that space back up? What people in your life have you written off and, and, and closed off? And, and, and there may be some instance where you've had to do that. And, and, and I understand that I'm not playing therapist here, but you've got to do what's best for you is creating boundaries and on and on. But there are spaces and people that we write off too quickly. And so can we save space? Can we open that space back up? Are there opportunities for us to, to make amends, to, to repent, to say we're sorry? That we realize that people need love and there's this transitional power, transformational power that comes from love. And so we've got to give love. So what people and spaces in your life need you to give them love? Can we come to a place where we say, I'm allowing love to lead me. 
It's going to lead and it's going to guide me. I'm going to do everything through the lens of love. I'm not going to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm going to hold space for people that have hurt me. And every single day I'm going to choose to live with a posture of love. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you love us while we're still sinners. We thank you that... uh, that even though we don't deserve it and we haven't earned it, Father, you still show us love unconditionally. That you save space for us even when we act out and we uh, do things immorally. Father, you keep saving space for us. You haven't turned your back on us, and so we're grateful. So God, may we take on this posture. May we lead uh, by your example, Father, that we can begin to uh, give grace and, and mercy and save space for people. To not be so judgmental and to not be so uh, condescending, but that we would be people who can look at situations and people beyond the surface and go, wow, they're hurting. How can we speak to that hurt? How can we step into that hurt? How can we bring reconciliation? Father, open our hearts to the power moving around us and between us and within us until your glory is revealed in our love of both friend and enemy and community. Father, may we be transformed by justice and compassion and in the healing of all that is broken. God, some of us in this room, we're hurt. We're broken. People have told us they loved us and they've used it as a weapon. We've been manipulated. We've been lied to. And there's some deep, deep wounds that need you to come in and be that healing salve. So God, I'm asking this morning, right now, here in this moment, that you would step in. That you would begin that healing process so that bitterness and anger doesn't slide in and take up space in our life. I'm praying that today, maybe the whole wall doesn't come down, but maybe we start chipping away so we can open our hearts back up to the possibility of love again. So move in us. Transform us so that we may be led by your love. So we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. Man, if you would stand across the room and let's sing together.
to 